Ms. Kuhn, my fourth grade teacher, surprised us one day by giving us the name and address of a child in Denmark. And she told us that we were gonna have a pen pal the whole school year. And we were gonna write letters to them every week. At Christmas time, we were gonna exchange gifts. We were gonna know their birthday and other special times for them so that we could send them a gift or some type of special recognition. This was a wonderful experience to me because once I mailed off my letter, the anticipation of getting one in return was always such a blast. I could not wait. This was a slow process. It was not making a phone call where you got immediate answers to your questions like, what's your favorite toy? Do you play a sport? Do you have brothers and sisters? We had to wait weeks to find out those answers. I'm having that same experience a little bit with my relationship with Carl Patton. Carl Patton is Melissa Wolfenberger's father. And as you know from the previous episode where we talked to Norma and Tina, her mom and sister, Carl is incarcerated for murders that he committed in 1977. But Carl wants to be a part of seeking justice for Melissa. Well, he has information that I need, and the only way I can do that is through letters. I want to talk about the significance of including Carl in this investigation. If you want to know why people murder, ask a murderer. If you want to know whether Carl's background had anything to do with what happened to his daughter, flat out ask him. If he believes that somebody in his past was seeking retribution, then we'll know that. Y'all, this is a case like none other that I have ever heard of, that I've ever worked. I can't even find anything in just general research that has happened like this. Historically, there is no other case like Melissa Wolfenberger. Here's why. You have her father who has been named and classified as a serial killer by law enforcement. Her daddy's the Flint River Killer. That's the moniker. You're going to learn later that he hates that, that he does not consider himself a serial killer because he will tell you he's not a Ted Bundy type. He has never sought somebody out to murder them that he did not know. He's never stalked and killed anybody that he did not have a connection with. He has never killed the same victim over and over and over like a Ted Bundy. So in this case, we have a serial killer turned crime victim who turned to the detective that arrested him for help, who then turned to a nonprofit for help, who then got his family to meet with the district attorney over the case. So he has tried to put as much effort into this as he could from where he sat in prison. So I can find no other case in history where a murderer had a loved one in their family murdered who asked law enforcement for help, who asked a nonprofit for help, who then went to the prosecutor for help. Carl Patton can't be on the podcast. He has no access to a computer with headphones or a cell phone, and he's not allowed outside visitors that are not family members. 
I made a formal request to the Department of Corrections to meet with him, and I was denied. Carl will speak to us today the only way that he can, through letters. Through the years, Carl and I have communicated about his life growing up when he was a little boy. I've asked him intimate questions about his family, his crimes, his incarceration, and his fight for justice for Melissa. Today, you're going to be able to hear his answers to my questions. Today, we get to go inside Dodge State Prison the only way we can and talk to Carl Patton. We spoke to Norma Patton, who admitted that she helped Carl dispose of bodies in the Flint River. First time I ever met her, she sat down with me and she said, my daughter was beheaded in Atlanta, will you help me? Absolutely, I offered to help her. I asked her to meet me in my office at the college and she did. Before we started to talk about Melissa, she told me straight out, I need to tell you something before you truly agree to help me. And she said, my husband is in prison for murder and I helped him, but we had a deal, so I didn't go to prison. That was a shocking statement. I didn't know her past prior to her meeting with me. I didn't know anything about Carl Patton. I had heard of the Flint River murders, but only cursory. But here's the deal. In my business, in the real world, at the police department, we don't get to pick and choose who we help and who we don't. If there is a victim of crime, we help that person, period. So Carl's past, enormous past, was not going to deter me from helping Melissa because the bottom line is the sins of the father have nothing to do with what happened to Melissa. She was an innocent 21-year-old young wife and mother that did not deserve to have her arms and legs and head cut off from her body and discarded in trash bags like she was garbage. Her children deserved better. Her family deserved better. And I also want to be very clear. Carl Patton did what he did. He deserves to be in prison. In 2003, Carl Millard Patton Jr. was arrested. He was later convicted of the 1977 murders of Fred White, Liddy Matthews Evans, and Evans' boyfriend, Joe Cleveland. He has never denied that to me. He has never misrepresented the facts to me that I know of. Every question that I have ever asked him, he has answered, sometimes more than once. Let's talk a little bit about the timeline to catch you up. November the 9th, 1998. Melissa was last seen by her mom. December 1998, Melissa's husband states, that's the last time he ever saw her. He saw her walking down the street. She said she was headed off and he never saw her again and he just thought she moved to California without him. Keep in mind, Melissa had no car, no phone, no money, no luggage with her, and she left behind her two small children. Between October 1998 and February of 1999, her husband worked at a place called Action Glass. He never reports her missing. He never calls her family 
and says, will you help me look for her? Have you heard from her? Is she with y'all? He never tries to find her. He never tries to make sure the children can see her and visit with her and be co-parented by her. As a matter of fact, the house they were living in together, he moved out of. He moved to a different city in South Georgia and did so using an assumed name. April 29, 1999, a severed skull is found in the middle of Avon Avenue. June 3rd of 1999, arms and legs are found in four additional trash bags in the same area. November of 1999, Melissa's mom, Norma, officially reports her missing. Now, y'all remember from the other episode, she tried to get her hometown in Henry County to take a report. They said, Melissa doesn't live here. She's a grown married woman. She can walk out of her life if she wants to. We have no evidence of a crime. Norma reaches out to the Atlanta Police Department who rode by to do a welfare check. There was nobody there, no blood, no broken glass. The door wasn't kicked in. They basically gave her the same speech. She's a grown woman. She's married. Husband hasn't reported her. She can take a powder if she wants to. When Carl is arrested for the 1977 murders, Detective Bruce Jordan is the one that arrested him. And Norma and Carl had a lot of conversations about, well, if he caught Carl after 25 years, he must be pretty good at his job. And maybe we should ask him to help find Melissa, because at this point, she's still a missing person. So Norma goes to Bruce Jordan with Carl's blessing and encouragement to say, will you help find our daughter? And to his credit, he said yes. And he's the one that discovered the severed head was just feet from where her husband worked at Action Glass. On March 14, 2003, the remains are identified as Melissa Wolfenberger. Tragically, law enforcement lost four years that they could have been investigating a homicide. Your tax refund belongs to you, not an identity thief. Over $6 billion in tax refunds were flagged by the IRS for possible identity theft in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. LifeLock monitors and alerts you to identity threats you may miss on your own, even if you're careful with your personal information. And if you do become the victim of tax-related identity fraud, LifeLock has U.S.-based restoration specialists ready to help solve your identity theft issues. Plus, all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package, meaning LifeLock will reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Let LifeLock help you protect your financial information so all you have to worry about is what to do with your tax refund. Go to LifeLock.com iHeart and save up to 25% your first year. That's 25% off at LifeLock.com iHeart. Identity theft protection starts here. Obviously, Carl Patton cannot speak for himself on this podcast. So Walt McCollum, my husband, has agreed to read Carl's letters so that it's going to be real clear that Carl is speaking when you hear a male voice. And I also want to be very clear that Christopher Wolfenberger has denied any involvement in Melissa's murder. June 16th, 2021. Miss Cheryl, 
I would like to correct something you said in your letter. You said Chris knew that I'd kill him if I ever got out. Norma made me promise I wouldn't. Not out for forgiveness, but for the sake of the children and Melissa's grandson. And the fact that I would be back in prison. Cheryl, Chris is not worth me being separated from my family one more minute. Plus, I really did not understand the hurt and grief I caused with my actions until we lost Melissa. I never want to cause anyone that type of pain ever again. And I pray God has or will forgive me for my sins and actions. April 21st, 2022. I am anxious about the evidence that has been found. My main focus is on the bags Melissa's body was placed in. We both know it would be hard to tie knots, especially in plastic bags, without leaving trace evidence of some sort. Whenever murder occurs, some kind of evidence is left. No matter how careful the killer is, evidence will be there. It may be overlooked, but that does not mean it's not there. There is no perfect crime. P.S. Toad Norma and Tina May, I was glad you and Miss Adrian were never after me when I was doing wrong. Thank God I am not that man any longer. July 22, 2021. Melissa Dawn was my baby girl who carried my heart the first time I held her. She was a happy, beautiful young lady, made good grades in schools, was in ROTC, and had the bright future in front of her. All that changed when she met Chris Wolfenberger. He had an unhealthy influence on her. She changed, and not for the better. She started sneaking out at night to meet him and do God knows what. He even talked her into stealing my car twice. She and Chris had planned to run away to California, his idea. After Melissa became pregnant and had Christina, Chris done everything he could to keep Melissa and Christina away from me and Norma. Now she had to sneak away from him, not sneak to meet him. Only time we ever got to see Melissa and Christina was when Chris was at work. Melissa told us she'd be in big trouble if he found out. She had often had bruises on her arms and neck. Norma and I tried to tell her it was an unsafe and unhealthy relationship, but she was in love and wouldn't listen. When Melissa didn't show up at Christmas to get her gifts and then we couldn't locate her, I knew in my mind and heart Chris had done something to Melissa. September 16th, 2022. Miss Cheryl, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to write and continue to keep me informed on Melissa's case. Last week was a rough one. Melissa would have turned 45 on Friday. 
your letters are greatly appreciated. They continue to reassure me that someone other than my family is concerned in seeking justice for her. Thank you for your effort and determination on Melissa's behalf. My family and I owe a great debt of gratitude that cannot be repaid. October 11th, 2022. How do you kill the mother of your two children? And then look at those children in the eye and say your mother deserted you because she didn't want you. Then when it's proven this mother is dead and they want us to visit the grave, you take them to a different location and claim someone must have moved her. Miss Cheryl, I have told you I had to lose Melissa and feel the pain to really realize the damage and harm I caused people I did not know. Please tell me, who does Chris have to lose to realize the hurt, heartache, and anguish his actions caused? A guilty conscience is a hell on earth that continues to punish and convict, and I deal with it every day. I pray that one day soon Chris will get a conscience and see the wrong he has done. I wish Chris had killed me instead of Melissa. That way I wouldn't have to live with the guilt of knowing I was not there to protect her. Every time I look at her picture, pain is the price you pay for loving your children so deeply. want you to know my family and I appreciate your efforts in Melissa's case and keeping us in the loop. Chris Wolfenberger has gotten away with his crime long enough, and for the first time in a long time, I believe he will get his due very soon. Also pleased to see the investigating agents agree with me that there is only one suspect in this case, Chris Wolfenberger. Have read the geographic profile several times, and for most part, I agree 95%. I want you to know in my heart, killer does not describe me. Loving, protective father, husband, and provider describes me, and I pray you will see that as well. I'm willing to do anything to help bring Melissa's killer to justice. I have only two goals left in my life. One is justice for Melissa and getting back home to my family, to hear my children's laughter, and to wake up next to my wife one more time. This is my dream. When I was first reviewing the entire case file, so much good work had been done once they knew they had a murder. Some real stellar work, as a matter of fact, was done. But one thing that I saw that was missing was a geographical profile. Now, if you are not familiar with that term, it's really an extraordinary and just super cool tool for law enforcement. They take all the locations that are connected to either a crime or a series of crimes, and they try to determine the most probable area where an offender lives. And this map shows a location that is most likely 
where the offender's base is. That base is either his home or his work. In other words, this place is somewhere that he knows intimately. He feels safe. He feels protected. He feels like he could work from there very easily. And then it analyzes locations that are connected to the crime to determine most likely, yes, this is the person that picked this disposal site. It's most likely where this person traveled, the route that they took after they committed the crime. So if you have somebody that leaves their home, interacts with a victim, murders that victim, and then dumps their body somewhere, the geographical profile, when they know the body disposal site and where the victim was last seen, then they work backwards to show this most likely is the area where the perpetrator lived or worked. So some of the things they will use to get this information into their analysis, into their mapping, they will look at, again, where did this crime end? Is the victim found outdoors, in an abandoned building, in their home, on a street somewhere? Then they're going to work backwards to say, where were they last seen? They're going to utilize witness statements, law enforcement reports, and get that exact address of where they were last seen. Well, now you've got two critical addresses, where the body was located and where the victim was last seen. They also add things from the victim's life, where the victim went to school, where the victim worked. Because again, where did this killer and victim first intersect? They can try to predict that. When they're looking at this map, there's going to be some hot zones where perhaps, you know, the victim is crossing into where the perpetrator may live. Maybe she passes where he works every day to go to her job or her school or her church or whatever it is that she's, you know, headed toward. So in the case of Melissa, again, we have her most likely being killed at one location, being transported, and then being discarded at another. And then we have some principal elements that somebody would want to look at. Where did she live? Where did she work? Where were her parents, her siblings, etc.? So we were extremely fortunate that we had somebody come forward to say, yes, I will help you. And Douglas McGregor, who is in Canada, who is a geographical profiler, y'all, he's a freaking wizard. And I tell this story a lot of times so that people really understand when somebody is truly gifted in their expertise. And this is the situation with Douglas. We had a series of crimes in Atlanta not too long ago, and as soon as I started hearing about them, they were oddly familiar, kind of like a deja vu thing. And I'm like, why does this sound like I've heard this before, even though it was crimes that were unfolding? And I even reached out to David Quinn, who was the detective on the crimes that I was remembering, and even asked him, doesn't this sound like your case? Could this be a copycat? He said, they sound real similar to me. And yeah, I mean, it could be a copycat. So I contacted Douglas. And in real time and real quick, he did a profile and he said, no, this is a stranger. He has no idea of the other crimes you're talking about. And he's going to strike in this general area always. And everything that he sent me, I sent to the sergeant over the case. And it turned out he was absolutely right. 
I asked him if he would possibly look at Melissa Wolfenberger's case, and he said absolutely, and he generated a report for the police and the prosecutor. And again, stellar work, just peerless. The really cool thing on Melissa's case, that had never been done before. So it was just one more thing that we could give to investigators and to the DA's office to say, look, it's not just us telling you. There's an analysis that's being done by an expert that's going to show you the same thing. We're going to wrap up this episode with one final letter from Carl. November 3rd, 2022. In your last letter, you also asked very pointed questions about my past family, Norma, parents, children, and crimes. Things that are usually off limits, however, I'm going to try to answer them as honestly as I can. So I will start at the beginning. My mother, my father, lived through the Great Depression and know what it meant to work hard and still do without. My dad used to tell me when he needed a new pair of shoes, all he had to do was put a piece of cardboard in the bottom of the old ones. Was his second son and only one of my mother, whom was 36 years old when I came along. Mom was the oldest girl of eight and had to help watch after her other brothers and sisters. She always dreamed of having her own children, but I came late in their lives. Family rumor says she found out she was pregnant. She ran around yellowing, I got me a hot shot. And that's where I got my nickname and nothing to do with my criminal activities. Mom and Dad always made sure I knew I was loved, wanted, and protected. Growing up, I liked to play football and fish. Did not like school. My mother was always my safety blanket and my best friend. That's why it hurts now to know I disappointed her sometimes. And another reason I'm trying now to be a better person. Family loyalty started with my grandfather. He always said, family first, and to be true to your word and your friends. He taught my mother, and she taught me. Now I try to pass that on to my children. All my mother ever wanted was for me to go to church, get educated, own my own home, and have grandchildren. She loved Norma, and the happiest I ever saw my mother was when Norma gave birth to our first daughter. After Tina Mae was born, Norma could do no wrong. Wait, I'm getting ahead of myself. When I was young and growing up, we lived in College Park. My grandfather, Patton, lived on Main Street in a two-story, three-bedroom mansion he built from a two-room shack. He was a master carpenter. Long about 1961, we moved to Ellenwood, east of Forest Park. Mom had rented 406 acres of land and a two-bedroom house for $60 a month. No heat, used coal heaters and a fireplace to stay warm, where I honed my hunting skills and my mom bought my first house. There, I met the Wade sisters, Donna and Teresa. 
the three of us rode horses every day after school. We all attended Jonesboro Junior High School, where I made some lifelong friendships. My happiest days had begun. Teresa Wade introduces me to my future. There she was, dark complexion, pretty smile, brown eyes, and gray hair. Not a lot of gray hair, but enough to be interesting at 15 years old. There she stood, my soulmate, lifelong partner, best friend, lover, mother, rock of my future family, Norma. Did the ADA and the media and myself reach out to a killer to try to help solve Melissa's case? Yes. And in this case, that killer just happens to be her father. But he has part of the victimology. He has an understanding of part of the suspectology. And again, we are not arguing whether or not Carl Patton is guilty, whether or not he's a serial killer, whether or not he deserves to be in prison. There's no argument there. I'm going to end Zone 7, like I always do, by quoting somebody from my Zone 7. Tonight's quote comes from Jim Rathman, former United States Secret Service agent. And he says, never look down at anyone unless extending a hand to pick them back up. And I think that is so applicable to Melissa's case. I'm Cheryl McCollum, and this is Zone 7. I am often asked if Melissa's murder was some type of retribution for Carl's murders. Join us next week as we talk exclusively to the children of Liddy Evans. The children have an opportunity to honor their mother, and we have an opportunity to look at Carl's crimes and see if they factor in to the murder of Melissa Wolfenberger. Oh, 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 O'Reilly! You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.